0: wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.
1: ES
2: Audio
3: From the Evening Standard in London, I'm Mark Blunden and this is The Leader. You may have seen AI-generated art all over social media in recent months. Artwork made by artificial intelligence usually needs some kind of human commands to bring its often very odd creations to life. But what do computers dream up when left to their own devices? Because for every pretty convincing pope in a puffer jacket, you've got another nonsensical jumbled-up creation from a hallucinogenic fever dream. As the technology improves, we wanted to know if it's possible to discern something made by humans from works created by an algorithm. So we sought out two of London's top experts in this emerging field and discovered the next phase of the technology, including AI-powered drawing droids, complete with a mechanical arm, so they're IRL not just on screen. We'll also learn about why it takes a robot to catch a deep fake. First, we're joined by Professor Frederick Follemery from Goldsmiths. College, who's worked in computer vision and the arts
2: for many years. So what is AI art? Essentially, AI art is the application of some AI technologies, recent technologies, to the context of the visual art, mostly visual art. Uh, We could also consider music uh, as another art form where there's a lot of influence of AI. It's mainly at the moment used in the context of generating uh, visual outputs, in the context of visual art. How does it work and does the software know if the art's any good? We hear a lot about AI being applied to generate visuals and often what what it simply does is it relies on lots of examples, a so-called uh, large databases of images, for example, and potentially mixed with other types of information like text or uh, descriptions and produces some intermediates that has not been seen before. However, the judgment of uh, being interesting from a novelty point of view remains in the uh, human perception. So we don't have very good AI that can sort of criticize or judge whether an output is uh, really novel or interesting uh, interesting for other humans to look at. And most of the um, evaluation remains uh, done by humans.
3: Is there a value difference between human or machine produced art?
2: Some people will say that if it's not created by a human, or if there's no strong, important human input in the creation of an artifact, then it is it should not be called art. And that's one type of opinion coming mostly from the world of i would say traditional art but um it's up for the debate and and of course uh, the quality of uh, what's produced with computers uh, has increased tremendously in the last few years. So it's a bit uh, a novelty by itself that the level of quality of, of the artifacts that can be produced using these these new tools has never been seen before. So I think the opinions will, will start to shift towards uh seeing the outcomes of these tools as, as being uh, of high value. Uh, but this is still a new phenomenon. So what's next for the creation of machine-made artworks? What I think is another area that will open in a few years is where computer system I use more to drive other types of systems such as robots. And we will see also perhaps more and more influence of using robots in artistic disciplines. So if you think of the, the, the current interest in AI art as digital tools, this has been built uh, over decades. There's a similar phenomenon in the lab, where you have early works uh, using robotics, for example, for collaborating in painting or collaborating in calligraphy or drawing activities, or collaborating in uh, music interpretation or even performances on stage. And this is still very niche. Robots are very complicated systems. It's, It's, if you want, it's early days, but you can see the trajectory is very similar. It's just perhaps... 10 to 20 years uh, behind the curve. How does that work? I've been working in, in this area of robotics and, and drawing. Uh, now we're moving into robotics and painting. There's a few other groups around the world that have been doing this kind of work. So, uh, for example, I have some examples here, so of work we've done in portraiture uh, with uh, a system called Paul the Robot, uh, which was created by one of my students. It's a ro- so-called robot arm. A robot arm is basically a set of articulated joints that mimic the movements of a human arm. It has a wrist. Uh, It can pick up a pen, for example, uh, a so-called gripper in in the jargon of robotics. It has a camera eye, so it can look around. The the camera is mobile, so it can sort of uh, rotate and, and find, in our case... Uh, in our early work, which goes back about ten years ago, we would use the camera eye to r- uh, look around and find a face, anything that looks like a face, capture it, and then focus on the on the piece of paper on a, on a table, and the arm would start drawing the um, the portrait of the person. Uh, later work, uh, you see, the camera is also used to look at the the drawing as it is being made, and there's a feedback, so the the system is able to judge. Uh, what's happening on, on the paper and that influences what happens next. And and the interest here is that we're trying to understand and and to some extent mimic uh, how a human functions or so a human artist usually doesn't work purely from memory or imagination, but is constantly interacting with the art piece itself, with the drawing.
3: Let's go to the ads. Coming up why it takes a robot to catch a very good deep fake, and how can human artists and AI work together? Why not hit rate and follow in the meantime?
0: Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short term plans at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Lawrence Tolalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance.
3: Welcome back. Now we're joined by Terence Broad, Senior Lecturer in Data Science and AI Creative Industries at University of the Arts, London. How does the AI know
1: what to draw? Most of the work that's happening in generative AI is based on taking training data, especially with these kind of newer models. You're taking huge amounts of training data from the internet and you are training it on this vast amount of data. And essentially what you're getting the algorithm to do is you're getting the algorithm to try and imitate the data, trying to create plausible things that look like the training data So the research that I've been doing for some time now, for the last five years, has been trying to find ways of configuring or training these AI systems where they're not directly imitating data. So a lot of the ways that I've been doing that has been doing it where I've been trying to train them without any training data. I've done a series of works where I've used absolutely no training data in the process, or finding ways of kind of manipulating them, building tools for people to interact with these generative AI systems. So did the computer sort of think for itself? And what did the end result look like? I, w- I wouldn't call it getting the computer to think for itself, but I definitely did do a series of projects where I used absolutely no data. Funnily enough, the outcomes were—they looked a lot like Rothko paintings. You know, Rothko paintings are these—you know—often these big abstract paintings, big blocks of color. But it was really—I I guess I was—I was very heavily involved in the process. So, you know, I was writing the code, I was—I was looking at the outputs, and then I was—you know—deeply kind of involved in that. So I wouldn't necessarily say I was getting the computer to think for itself, but it definitely was generating things out of randomness. And what's next? I'm very interested in ways that these AI tools can kind of help creative people, help creative people in their creative practice and how um, they can, for instance, you know, I'm very interested in the way that pe- you can kind of customize models. You know, we when I'm uh, teaching, we get, we have a lot of students who've come from art backgrounds and we um, do a lot of work where we're trying to get them to sort of take work from their maybe previous you know, training, you know, maybe they've done a graphic design degree. Maybe they've done, um, a photography degree and then they can take the work that they've made in the past or things that they're interested in and then use that as almost training data for training an AI system on their own, on their own artworks and then using that then as a kind of, you know, interactive tool that they're working alongside with, um, in way of practice. So for me, that's kind of, that's the direction that I'm most interested in is how we can, use these AI tools to sort of help creative people, help creative people be more creative. Where do you
3: think the balance will be between human artists and
1: machines? I think we are moving down the collaborative route. I I don't think people are going to be interested in art that is, you know, purely made by AI. I think, you know, people are very interested in the creative outputs of other people. How that manifests itself, I think, you know, you're going to see different variants. You know, I think there will probably be a push Maybe a move back towards kind of more traditional physical art making practices. I think physical art making practices using kind of traditional techniques are going to be things that they are going to be the hardest for AIs to imitate and replicate. But I also think that there's probably going to be a move towards that. But I also think there's going to be a move towards people who, you know, have a creative practice, have technical skills, have um, that they've developed over a long period of time, and then they're using AI in the kind of art-making process. And will AI systems collaborate together? There's a very famous algorithm called a GAN, a generative adversarial network, where you have these two networks that are kind of competing against each other. One's trying to generate things, and it's trying to sort of generate plausible-looking things, a bit like a sort of forger would try and forge money. And then you have um, this other network, a discriminator that's trying to tell the difference between what's real, and what's sort of AI generated. And you can sort of think of that as someone who's working in a bank, trying to figure out what's a real banknote or a fake banknote. And when you're training, these two networks work together, and eventually you you end up with a generator network that produces very realistic looking things, for instance, very realistic faces.
3: And what about weeding out these very realistic looking deep fakes?
1: There are telltale signs in these images that actually mean, it's actually very easy for, an, for another AI system to detect whether an image Operated by an AI, but it might not be very easy for a human to detect. So, you know, there are there are definitely ways, and this, this is a sort of active area of research that we're using computers to try and understand <laughs> the sort of digital forgeries made by other computers. There's much more news and features
3: in Evening Standard newspaper and online at standard.co.uk. That's the leader. We're back on Tuesday at four pm. Happy Easter.